Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, the team preview series rolls on. We have a very special guest on tonight. It is time to preview the Duke Blue Devils. We talked earlier to our boy Steve Wiseman. He's a, a new guest of the podcast. And man, he I thought he really provided a lot of really great insights and great information on, on the Duke Blue Devils. Like you say, he's a new guest, but he's officially our boy. He was awesome, mm-hmm. Joey. He was really, really good. Um, a lot of good insight here. Talking about David Cutcliffe's longevity at Duke, because you know that he's not going anywhere else. Uh, mm-hmm. Talking about how quarterback is obviously not the biggest question that they've had. They got skill position issues. They've had kicking issues. They got a brutal schedule, Joey. We got into all of that with Steve. He was awesome. Um, and on a side note, I was actually going through our podcast history to see when we've uploaded podcasts in the past and where we are this year with our previews compared to last year. And Joey, we're well ahead of schedule, well ahead of schedule compared to a year ago. The problem is that the games are way ahead of schedule, too. Yes, uh, <laughs> yes, that had a lot to do with it. Damn it, Miami needing to uh, play this week zero game. It was originally scheduled for week one, by the way, and then pulled it up for, I don't know, needing attention, which welcome back to the We Hate Miami podcast, quote unquote. Yeah, no joke. It's all their fault. Thanks. I hate it, Miami. Anyways. Um, yeah, Mike, for sure. Steve gave a, a ton of great insights. I'll add, by the way, that the, the defense for Duke looking pretty good, both from a, a coaching standpoint and from a returning personnel standpoint. So if there's something to uh, something to really lean on in this year, it's, it's probably that and maybe a bit of the run game on offense. But enough of that. We'll let you hear it straight from the uh, straight from the man himself. Mr. Steve Wiseman, again, covering the Duke Blue Devils. Uh, for the Raleigh News Observer and, and the, the Herald Sun, he, um, he he was as informed as anybody I've ever heard talking about the Blue Devils uh, from a football standpoint. Uh, so here he is. Go ahead and take a listen. All right, Mike. We now have a special special guest on with us to talk about the Duke Blue Devils. He is new to the podcast, uh, bringing a lot of insight from the Triangle area. You want to tell us a little bit about him? Yeah, Steve Wiseman joining us, uh, covers ACC Sports, and as he says in his Twitter bio, mainly Duke, which is why we're having him on tonight to talk about the Duke Blue Devils for uh, newsandobserver.com as well as heraldsun.com. Steve, how's it going, man? Thanks for joining us. Yeah, I'm glad to be with you guys. Everything's going really well. Uh, getting close to getting ready for the season here and getting ready to kick it off. Most wonderful time of the year. Yeah, it's it's coming up, coming up, coming up fast here. Uh Steve, let's start here. Uh, Duke is one of the more interesting teams to talk about in all the ACC. They seem to consistently uh, play above average for the type of program that they are. And a big reason for that is because of David Cutcliffe. And Coach Cutcliffe has been with Duke for quite a while. And we were all kicking this around right before we hit record here and talking about how 
you know, Coach Cutcliffe has done really an unbelievable job with the Duke program, considering how hard it is to recruit there and the type of school that Duke is historically for football. He's produced a consistent program there in Durham. And my question for you regarding Coach Cutcliffe is, a his longevity at Duke, because really we haven't seen we haven't seen or heard much about you know potential jobs elsewhere. And given Coach Cutcliffe's age, I think it's safe to assume at this point, I guess, that he's likely to finish uh, finish his coaching career at Duke. So I, I'm curious, being on the beat as you are, uh, to hear kind of your insight on on Coach Cutcliffe and his longevity at Duke. How long you expect him to continue to do this and um, if he were to go elsewhere and surprise everybody at this point, where do you think he would go? Yeah, I don't see him going anywhere else. He's, he's made it pretty clear to me and, and some other people that, uh, that this is where he's going to finish his career. He's 64. He'll be 65 in September. So, um, he's, he's kind of rounded to the last few years of his career here. He's in pretty good, pretty good health, even though he's had a history of heart problems going back to when he was an old miss and had a, bypass surgery, that kind of stuff, and missed a whole year coaching, but, but he's, he's, he's in pretty good shape now, his health's good, he gets great health care at Duke Hospital, it's one of the reasons why he really likes Duke, and he's, uh, he, this is his 12th year at Duke, and, uh, you know, he really has, you talk about the job he did, I mean, he came in and inherited a program that was the worst Division One program in America, by far, and they won 10 games over the previous eight years, and uh, it took him three or four years to get things going, and then now they've been just six bowl games in the last seven years and they've uh they've had a couple winning seasons in a row here um they had a four and eight year in 16 but other than that they've been they've had winning seasons and bowl games every other year pretty much this decade so uh that's that's the job he's done and it's just been you know incredible to people that that were here when he got there talking about you know the facilities duke had the way they were able to not recruit they didn't have a full length practice field when he arrived they only had an 80 yard practice field he said it's no wonder this team was so bad in the red zone. They never had a practice field long enough to practice the red zone. It was only <laughs> 75, 80 yards. So. <laughs> that explains um, it. And now they have an indoor practice facility. They built that before you know, Florida State did, before Miami did, before NC State and UNC did down the road here. So uh, Duke's put the money into the program, um, and it's convinced him to stay. He's had a couple opportunities. He could have gone back to Tennessee. Uh, as you know, they've gone through several um, odd coaching years, and he was involved in all those by them contacting him. It wasn't him reaching back out. With all of his Tennessee ties, they thought, okay, you can come back and save the program. Like 2010 was probably the closest he came to going. That was the first time. Uh, in 2012, uh, they gave him a contract extension. That's when they went to their first bowl game in 18 years. And, uh, and then again, last uh the last go around here, uh, he, he had a chance to go, and, and Peyton Manning even called him and tried to convince him, hey, Tennessee needs you, and, and he he didn't, he was convinced this is where he wants to stay, and he's more comfortable here, and when he finished up at Duke. So, Steve, if we can safely assume at this point that David Cutcliffe not going anywhere else, do we have any sort of gauge on how much longer he will be at Duke before he hangs him up? You know, I can see him staying, um, you know, until he's 70 again it's just like kind of the same thing i say with coach k with basketball um it, it depends upon how his health holds up that that's the big x factor here but but he's comfortable here he's, he's got the staff he's wanted they've they've supported him as far as 
you know, he gets raises, but he also gets more money for his assistants. They've, they've come through with that. So he's able to get the kind of people he wants around here, and he's real comfortable. Uh, and, and they've recruited very well. As they've become a better program, they've been able to recruit a little better, too, and that gets him better athletes. So uh, I can see him, you know, stay another five years until uh, he's 70. Again, provided his health stays fine, because he seems to love it. He's very comfortable here. Well, as a Georgia Tech grad and a Georgia Tech fan who's had a lot of familiarity with the inner workings of that program over the last five or so years, I've heard a lot about how uh, getting the proper support and getting the resources you ask for does a lot in terms of keeping a coach happy. I think that was something Paul Johnson struggled a lot with. So it, it clearly goes a long way with a guy like Cutcliffe to be getting those things, especially knowing that those things weren't always there in the past with that program. Um, let's move on and talk about this year's team Steve in particular and I think the biggest storyline probably coming into the year as far as anybody knows Duke you know in the national stage is that they got to replace Daniel Jones and Daniel was a a really good player for them as a three-year starter at quarterback Uh, Mike and I identified him as being really good our first year on the podcast when he was just a freshman He, he was really impressive realistically probably a little bit overdrafted at number six overall I think a lot of people would kind of tend to agree on that but at the very least I mean he was definitely a, a top half of the draft kind of guy. I mean, a very capable, talented quarterback. He he was inconsistent at times, but generally had a pretty high floor. Now you got to replace him coming into the year. Thankfully, they do have uh, redshirt senior Quentin Harris coming back. Um, Harris played in almost every game last year. He even had a couple of starts, including a, a win at Baylor uh, there in week three when Daniel Jones went down with an injury. So they've got the guy there in, in place to fix him or to replace him, I, I guess the question becomes people look and see a, a guy got drafted that's there to replace, and they would assume that there's going to be a drop-off, but I don't know how much I get the the impression that there's a lot of concern coming out of Durham with Harris instead of Jones, especially considering what he showed us in his uh, kind of some limited playing time last year. Yeah, and just to, to, to make a point here, I'm one of those that agrees Daniel was overdrafted. <laughs> um, I think a lot of him is a talent and a kid, and, and haven't dealt with him in uh, but I think the Giants could have got him at 17, probably, right? And so I'll mm-hmm. just time in with that right there. I think he's going to be a good player in the NFL, but, again, they could have waited and saved a little bit on the money there. But anyway, moving on to Quentin Harris. Uh, the fact that they have a fifth-year senior is, is giving them a lot of comfort here. Um, he's not an NFL quarterback. Quentin Harris is not going to be in the NFL. Cut, cut, Clinton admits that. It's, not, it's a different type of, type of kid, but he's, he's a very smart kid. Um I know it's probably cliche at Duke, but I mean, really, this kid is polished. I mean, you know, seeing interacting with with us with media and stuff, I'm like this guy's going to be in politics someday. Probably he's so smooth, and he really everybody on the team respects him, and and the fact that he's played so much over the years as Daniel's backup, you know, coming in in some short yardage situations, Cutcliffe kind of always likes to do that so that players when they finally get a starting assignment aren't freaked out by having not been in the game. So that that really helps. Uh, Quentin's case, and he he's got you know he's he's got a pretty good arm. Again, he's not an NFL guy like Daniel, but he showed in the, the games that he started last year that he can he can throw the deep ball. He needs to work a little bit on his accuracy in the short mid mid, mid medium range that way. Uh, but he uh, he can run the offense well. The idea is you know they don't want him to put the ball in danger. He's showed the ability, you know, from the short yardage packages to be able to take off and run with it when he needs to. So that'll help. Um, he's not as tall as Daniel. Daniel's, you know, 6'4", 6'5", and Quentin's more like 6'1", 6'2", ish. So that 
that makes a difference there. But but yeah, there's there's comfort with him because the familiarity. Everybody knows him, knows the playbook. It's not like you're trying to break in a you know a redshirt freshman or a sophomore or something like that who's who's kind of more new to the program. So that that does that is going to help Duke a little bit in that in that case. Duke's unique in that they have a quarterback they're replacing, and that is not the biggest question mark on the team. The biggest question mark on the team is probably the receiving core, where they lose their top two tight ends. They lose three of their starting receivers, including TJ Roming, who's on to the NFL. His, obviously, that's a significant loss with his eight touchdowns a year ago. Where do we start in trying to replace this talent, Steve? Yeah, you you know, that is that is true. And, but one thing I will say is that receiver core had a lot of drop passes over the last couple of years, two or three years, and it made Daniel Jones' stats not look as, as good as they probably could have been. Um, for all those, the experience they had there, and those guys helped them win some games, they did, but they also had some drop balls and stuff like that and some mistakes that were made. So I was always kind of critical of that receiving core, you know, thinking that Daniel would have had a group like Clemson has or NC State what his numbers could have been. So, so the fact that they're all gone is, is, is not good from experience wise, but, but I, I think it can be good because the, you know, the guys that are coming in to replace them have a potential to be, to be even better players, even though they're going to be younger. So um, one guy that, that, that is going to help them there is Aaron Young, who uh, is a redshirt senior, but he missed last year. He played a couple of games. He had a hamstring injury and ended up getting the medical redshirt, but he had a big breakout game, the opening game against army. We had 117 yards of receiving uh, yardage, and then he got hurt in practice a few days later. Was never really saying the rest of the year, so that gives him somewhat some doubt with experience because he's got pretty good hands and and he's got some breakaway speed. So if he can turn out to be a you know a, a consistent guy, which he, which he should be, that's a big help to Clinton right there. And then other than that, they, they got a lot of young guys. In fact, uh, they have a sophomore in Jake Bobo who, as a freshman last year, showed he had the best hands on the team. And you know, diving catches, catching balls in traffic. Uh, he was he's going to be a starter, and then he he broke his collarbone in practice last week. So he's he had surgery. He's going to be out. We're not sure how long. I I would think chances of him playing in the season opener are pretty pretty slim. So, but I, he's not going to be out for the year. But he's going to miss you know probably some games in September. But anyway, he's a guy that, that they have a lot of uh, faith in that he could be a, a big star and be very helpful to put in that way too. Um, they have a tight end named Noah Gray, who is third string behind two guys you mentioned, Daniel Helm and Davis Coppenheaven last year, who is a junior and has shown the ability to, to catch balls in the red zone. He's he's a pretty good offensive tight end, and that will help him. And then also I want to mention Deion Jackson. He's a running back, but he's he was a wide receiver in high school. And I can see Duke using him – um, maybe in slot light, slot formations and, and things to get him the ball in space and he's got really good speed. He was a uh, you know his first team All ACC All Purpose back. So you can't overlook the impact that he'll have on the offense because he can run the ball out of the backfield and catch passes and and, and, and break big plays for touchdowns. So uh, with he and, and Britton Brown at running back um, that tandem that gives Harris some some positive. Uh, uh, guys in the skill game that can that can uh, get some big plays and, and help cut take the pressure off of him so he doesn't have to try to win the game by himself. That's exactly where I was going to go with that next, is looking at the returning tandem of Deion Jackson and Britton Brown, who really carried the load in the rushing game. And if you 
You combine that with three returning offensive linemen, especially the three guys in the middle, the two guards in the center, and the the rushing ability of Quentin Harris, I have to think that this offense is probably going to be about as run-heavy this year as you've ever seen under David Cutcliffe in his time at Duke. Yeah, it, it may have to be because that's where the strength of it is. And I do know that um, that they you know they still have the the no huddle and and uh, uh, formations and, and you know five wides and when they have to do it. But yeah, they they want to rely on getting the ball in the hands of Deion Jackson, and Britton Brown, uh, because you know you can you can make hay that way with those guys. That if Brown was banged up a little bit last year. He was he was pretty good the year before. And the injuries kind of slowed him last year. But he's a big back who's, who can, you know, can break tackles and, and you know, run up the gut and really do some things. But he's also got some speed and some wiggle to buy guys in the second uh, secondary. And then, of course, I mentioned Deion Jackson and his breakaway ability. He had that huge game against uh, Pitt last year. We had over 400 yards of total offense, which uh, was just a tremendous performance. That shows you what he's capable of doing all the time. So, yeah, that, that's going to help. And, and, again, the offensive line, Jack Wilwell back at center is, is, a, is a big big help to them. And then Rock Chambers and and, uh, and Zach Baker at the guards uh, look good in the preseason. So, um, yeah, they will have to count on the running game, I think, a lot. That That's going to be a big factor on, on how good they're going to be on offense. You mentioned the interior offensive line there, Steve, but it sounds like they're going to have some inexperience there at offensive tackle on both sides. Robert Kraling uh, was a starter at right tackle last year, and he's you know, right now as 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 we, as we record this, he's uh, he's second team now behind a freshman Jacob Monk, a true freshman who came in in the spring. He enrolled early uh, and has really impressed his coaching staff. And right now he's running with the number ones at, at right tackle. And you think about you know a true freshman at right tackle playing Alabama. <laughs> That's that's a scary thought, right? Uh, but uh, Cutcliffe is convinced that uh, that this kid, you know, has a big has a big future and a, and a big present. Uh, he's he's just been very impressive, and so and part of this is you know maybe Robert Crowley will end up you know rising to the occasion, and then they'll have pretty good depth there. But but either way, that that's a that says a lot about the way Jacob Buck has played. That they're going to think about putting him in against Alabama. On the other side, at left tackle, Casey Holman is a retro freshman. Who um, you know was in the program all last year, got stronger and has, has looked pretty good there. Um, Jalen Miller was the starter there last year, and he got hurt. And uh, you know, right now Holman has has beat him out for that job. And, you know, even though Miller's healthy again, so um, yeah, they got some youth on the at tackle. Tackle's been a problem here for Duke. They've, that's one of the reasons that you know any sacks Daniel Jones had was just break down from tackles. So. Um, they're going to get a, a big dose of what they're going to, you know, have to do when they play Alabama in that first game. You talked about that game; it's just going to be such a measuring stick for this program. And that's one area where, if things are going to break down offensively for Duke, it's going to be because of problems with the tackle. They're going to, you know, a lot of pressure in there, on the, and it's going to slow the running game. And it's going to, you know, uh, Quentin Harris will have to be running for his life. We'll definitely talk about that game among the the schedule here in a little bit. But before we do, let's let's hit the defense real quick. And Steve, as much as we talk about this team having to replace basically the entire passing game, right? You know, your your starting quarterback, all of your top five starting receivers, et cetera, and so forth. The good news is most of the defense is back this year. You know, losing Ben Humphreys, losing Joe Giles Harris, but 
overall getting eight starters back on defense and, and not just a whole bunch of freshmen from last year, but really a bunch of sophomores and juniors coming back. Ultimately, this is going to be a fairly experienced defense, and they should be able to, to give opponents some problems throughout their schedule. They really should. This is, you know, it's, it's a rare thing where, again, you talk about where the program was 10 years ago where, you know, the defense would just get run over by anybody that had any kind of speed uh, or strength, any, any good teams. They had trouble stopping them. And now we've advanced to the point where Duke's defense is their strength, right? And there's no question that's the stronger side of the ball for them. They have all four starters back along the defensive line. And that doesn't include Edgar Serenord, who was a starting defensive tackle in 2017, who missed last year when he, he ruptured his Achilles. And so he he was a registered senior last year, but he had a six-year of eligibility. So he's back. He's actually running with the second team, but that's okay because that gives them depth. They can they can switch out, uh, you know, uh, interior linemen and have fresh bodies in there all the time. So they not only have some talent with, like, Victor Demukajay and and Drew Jordan at the at the defensive ends, but uh, they have they have depth there too. So uh, and then also Duke has, has been kind of known for having pretty good defensive backs. Ross Cockrell uh, is in the NFL who played here. Jeremy Cash was the ACC Defensive Player of the Year at safety, who's been in the NFL as well. Uh, so uh, they they've been able. Matt Daniels to go back to him. He was a safety who played in the NFL for a while too. Uh, so they they been able to do that, and they, here they are again with with four starters back on that defensive secondary, and they play a 4-2-5, so they, they use three safeties and two corners. But uh, my, right now, Michael Carter is at, is at safety, Dylan Singleton and Marquise Waters. Uh, Michael played some at corner and at safety last year and has moved into safety slot. He intercepted a couple of passes in, in a scrimmage the other night, so he's, he's already ball hawking there and doing well at safety. Dylan Singleton was playing like an all-ACC player, uh, until he broke his leg in November against UNC and had to miss the rest of the year. So, uh, but but Cutcliffe says he's already playing better than he ever has. He's back to full strength and looking strong. So he's he's you know good in run support. He's good in pass support. Um, he's just an all around good player. And uh, so um, they they seem to be pretty good there at those two slots. Now linebacker they are replacing Humphreys and Giles Harris who are both you know, three-year starters and just count on them for, for big production. The good thing is that they have a guy named Kobe Kwanzaa who was, was kind of the third linebacker behind those two. And he got a lot of playing time because those guys battled a lot of injuries last year and then the year before, you know, linebackers get nicked up. So Kobe Kwanzaa comes in and is an experienced guy right off the bat, even though he's not been a full-time starter his whole career until this year. It's kind of like Quentin Harris. Everybody knows him. He's comfortable with every call and plays and all the stuff he has to do is in that linebacker slot. So that gives him some, some ability there. And they recruited pretty well at linebacker, too. They've got Brandon Hill, Shaka Hayward, Rocky Shelton, those three young guys. One of those, one of those three is going to be the other starter. And uh, they've got some ability there. So, um, yeah, this defense is going to have to – to be the strength uh, as we see, you know, what the offense can do. And they're certainly capable of doing that. And one other question about the, the defense in particular, we're, we're now entering year two of the post Jim Knowles era at Duke. In his last season in 2017, Duke had arguably like a top 20 defense in the country. It was a particularly really good, really effective unit. And then last year with, you know, maybe a couple of losses, but, still was like a top 50 or so unit with uh, some co-coordinators stepping in in place of Jim. 
is I mean, having to replace a couple of key pieces, but still getting a ton back, is there reason to think that this this group is going to jump back into like the top thirty in the national in the in the country in terms of defensive capabilities? I can see him doing that. Now the numbers may not play it out because the schedule this year will be tougher, and we'll talk. I know we're talking about that later, but compared to two years ago, the teams are playing this year. The numbers may be a little skewed because of that. But but as far as talent and ability and scheming, I think it definitely could be as good or better than the defense you referenced two years ago, just because of all the guys they have back and their ability. But there's a lot of guys on this defense that are probably going to be in the NFL someday. And I mean, not I'm not talking first-round picks. But they've got that type of talent now, which is something new at Duke. And Matt Guerrero and Ben Albert are the co-coordinators. Matt's the one that calls the plays. And he's a young guy that is just really bright and – he has head coaching future all over him. It's just a matter of when he gets enough experience here as a coordinator and gets a job where he must have moved on. But he's that he's that type of talent too. I mean, a very very bright guy. And uh, so, yeah, this this again has the potential to be a very very good defense. All right, Steve. The Achilles heel, or one of the Achilles heels last year for Duke, was the kicking game. And we don't get to talk about special teams too much on this podcast in our preview series, but I think we need to address it here. Duke wasn't very good on special teams last season. Uh, is it going to be Austin Parker handling the field goals? I mean, he was okay a couple years ago when he was the full time kicker, 17 to 21 on field goal attempts. Is he going to be the place kicker as well as the punter or what are they, what are they planning on doing there with special teams to kind of cure the ills of a year ago? Yeah, right now he's, he's just focusing on punting, which is what he did last year too. And um, yeah, he ended up being a kicker a couple of years ago, just almost by default because they brought in AJ Reed in 2016 as a freshman, expecting him to take over. They had Ross Martin before that. who was just a tremendous kicker. And, and then they brought in A.J., and he was just, 2016 was just terrible. He only made three field goals all year, and they had, last half of the year, they couldn't even try and field goals because he was so inconsistent. So, um, you know, then they had Austin do it in 2017. Last year, uh, they had Colin Wareham, who was a walk-on, uh, stick around and go to grad school and be the kicker because they were so desperate to have somebody that they trusted, and he did a decent job. But again, he's a walk-on, and you know, so you're not getting the kind of ability you really want at the Power Five level when you're doing that. So this year, it's back to AJ Reed. He's he's trying. He's a junior, redshirt junior. He's trying to win the job back because he he was on scholarship and he stuck around and didn't transfer, and you know, he stuck it out. And uh, he's been inconsistent here in camp. The other night in the scrimmage, they were they were not very good. He and then Charlie Ham is a freshman they brought in that they think. You know, he's going to end up being the kicker long term here, uh, but he hasn't he hasn't beaten out AJ for the job yet. They they've had trouble, um, you know, with consistency in the field goal kicking, and it was on display in the in the scrimmage the other night. Um, I know since then they've they've done better in practice, but you know it's got to be done on a consistent basis. And it's, it's really been an irritant to to Coach Cutcliffe um, that they can't get that straightened out. They're pretty good in the return games on special teams because Deion Jackson has the ability to break kickoff returns all the time and then he helps out the punting game too. So um, they're, they're just very strong there in that part of it. But, uh, but boy, they can't seem to get that place kicking right. And they have to do it because this is the team that, especially with this offense not being maybe what's with Daniel Jones, whenever you have a chance to get points, you got to get them wherever you can. And uh, so they got to get that straightened out. Steve, let's take a look at the schedule here for a minute with Duke and, 
as a Georgia Tech guy, I, I like to think that Georgia Tech has the toughest schedule in the Coastal, but to be honest, that might be up for debate with this Duke schedule. Uh, starting off, obviously, in the out-of-conference, first game of the year, get the Alabama Crimson Tide, national runners-up and champions for how many years in a row now? I couldn't even tell you. Not only that, but then also in the quote-unquote out-of-conference, get Notre Dame in November. Uh, that The good news is that's a home game. I think you pair that with road trips to Virginia Tech and Virginia and North Carolina and Wake Forest. This feels like, to some degree, this is going to be a fight for ball eligibility for Duke all year long. And as, as good as they've been, it's they're going to have to they're going to have to win some pretty tough games, I think, to to get to that six and six mark. Yeah, no question about that. I, I think that it is going to be an uphill battle to get to six, and uh, because you missed out. I mean. You're playing two of the teams that were in the college playoff last year, Alabama and Notre Dame. And then your crossover game in the Atlantic, they, have, they play Wake Forest every year. That's always a toss-up game. But their crossover game is Syracuse. And Syracuse, you know, a few years ago, that would have been, hey, great, we play Syracuse, they're a down program. Well, they won 10 games last year. <laughs> and they played Clemson tougher than anybody. And so that game's at home in Durham. It's the week after they play Notre Dame. They have Syracuse the following week. So, but that's... You know, Alabama, Notre Dame, Syracuse, that's three teams that were, you know, 10-plus wins last year. And then even their uh, FCS game, North Carolina A&T, you know, they beat East Carolina last year. And they they won the MEAC and they, they won the Celebration Bowl. And yeah, it's an FCS team, and Duke should win it. Again, that's a team that is, is better than your average FCS team. So <laughs> it's just uh, – it's really tough. And then, you know, you mentioned in conference, they – uh, the road trips, they lost to Virginia Tech and Virginia and Wake Forest at home last year. Now this year they go on the road to all three. And they're going to go over to Chapel Hill and play Carolina, and that's always a toss-up. This is a rivalry. And, yeah, Duke's won five out of seven in that series, but without coaching, so you think, you know, that's going to be not an easy win no matter what happens just because of the rivalry and all that. And there should, should be a better coach team. Duke hasn't been able to beat Pittsburgh with any kind of – they've only been once in a game of the conference, so – um, yeah, <laughs> it does add up to, to this looking like a fight to get to six for sure. And with all that being said, Steve, where do you think that this ends up at the end of the year for Duke? Right now, I'm thinking four and eight um, just because of that schedule. And again, I think the defense is really good. I, I don't know. And again, the, the offense has already you know had an injury hit with, with Jake Bobo, who was supposed to be perhaps their top receiver. He's you know got the broken collarbone. So they can't afford to lose any skill players this year like they did last year with all the injuries they went to. And if it happens this year, you know, they could really get buried pretty quick uh, with, with what they have to play. And when you open up with Alabama, that's going to be such a physical game that you just fear that, that you know, some bad, some bad things may come out of that. Some guys may be nipped up, and who knows as you get into conference play. So, um, yeah, 4-8 is kind of what I'm thinking, although – you know, if they could find a way to pick up a couple of upsets along the way, get to six, it would really be an accomplishment um, to, to keep this you know, kind of bull streak going. But, you know, uh, they will have a lot of guys back next year again. So if they, if they don't make the bowl this year, I, I don't think I see the program going in a deep dive where they go back to being, you know, three and nine, that kind of stuff all the year. It might just be this, this might just be the four and eight year and they move on from there. The only thing I'll add to that is, would it really shock you if a David Cutcliffe Duke team overperformed your expectations? Not at all, <laughs> because they've done it uh, a lot since I've been here. So yeah, they, uh, they again they find a way to get in the bowl bowl picture. You know, 
the last two years they started off four and up both years and and then had some struggles in the end then ended up getting you know six or seven win or eight wins and, and getting the job done so that's where they are now they're they're a program that is solid every year you know they, they don't they don't go on the tank and have a two win or a three year win year and they're competitive but uh but yeah no I, again I don't put anything past this staff, given what they've done the last 10 years to build this program up. Mike, I think that's all I got for Steve. You got anything else while we got him on the line? I think we're good, Steve. Appreciate you joining us. Uh, this was very informative. Uh, I mean, Duke, Duke is one of the more interesting teams in the ACC. So even though it's one of our last previews, it's one of the teams that Joey and I love talking about because they do consistently overperform expectations. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate being with you guys. And uh, yeah, I'm glad to share anything I can with you. Absolutely. You want to tell the people where they can find your stuff if they're ever looking for you? Sure thing. Uh, yeah, the Raleigh News and Observer is at, uh, News and Observer is newsobserver.com. And then the Durham Herald Sun is heraldsun.com. We're, we're one news organization now, the two papers. So you can find my stuff at either one of those. And then uh, on Twitter, I'm at Steve Wiseman NC, like North Carolina, Steve Wiseman in. And uh, you can follow uh, all my good coverage there. There you go. Highly recommend that you do. I mean, as Mike was kind of alluding to, Duke, not one of the more heavily covered programs in the ACC, but as you can tell here, Steve absolutely has it covered and has a really good feel for this team and what's going on with them. So I highly recommend checking them out if you get if you get the chance. Um, Steve, thank you so much for your time tonight. We really appreciate you joining us, and uh, we'd love to have you on again sometime soon to kind of catch an update on how Duke's doing. Yeah, I'd be glad to do it anytime. Awesome. Well, thank you, Steve. Okay, thank you. All right, Mike, that was Steve Wiseman, uh, once again covering Duke for the Herald Sun and the News Observer there in the Triangle area. I thought that was brilliant. I thought he was, as we kind of alluded to before, he was pretty excellent. He was efficient. He did a great job covering Duke and kind of previewing the season. Let's let's take a look at their schedule this year if you're, uh, if you're ready. And I, I got to say, as I mentioned before, I mean, this is a – about as hard of a schedule as you could possibly draw up for Duke in 2019. You're talking about Georgia Tech having one of the most brutal schedules in the ACC because they get Clemson in the opener and their crossover is always tough. And then, you know, as a crossover with Clemson is always tough. And then at the end of the year, you get Georgia. Well, Duke's trying to outdo you here, Joey. They got Alabama mm-hmm. in the opener, and then they got Notre Dame. Uh, granted, that game is at home in early November, like you alluded to a couple of minutes ago. Uh, but that is a very, very tough game. And you close the season at home with Miami. Your other crossover game, as Steve mentioned, is Syracuse the week after Notre Dame visits Durham. And, of course, that's at home, but that doesn't make a difference. I mean, it's a brutal schedule. Um, Steve said 4-8. and eight. It's... Hard to disagree, in, in my opinion, but we can dive a bit more into that. I, I thought about that, and like, it just objectively, that makes a ton of sense to me. Is like, this is a Duke team that's rebuilding, and and not only rebuilding on offense, but like, literally the entire passing game has to be rebuilt here. Um, I I'll pull up some of the numbers, but not only you're replacing your quarterback, you're replacing your top receivers, you're also replacing your top two pass protectors, right? Your left tackle and your right tackle, like. If you somehow find a way to consider the offensive line part of the passing game, they're replacing that too. So it's 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 good that we can sit here and feel a sense of confidence in Quentin Harris, and and I think he probably earned that in what we saw from him last year. But definitely, not only having to replace your your top receivers. By the way, Davis Covenaver that he mentioned seven touchdowns last year on a grand total of fourteen receptions. 
Love it. It's like my high school stats. Yeah. Yeah. He had a catch every uh, once every game and he had a, a touchdown every other catch. So you'll Joey, that. Joey, you'll appreciate you'll appreciate this as a Georgia Tech fan. My senior year of high school, we, we ran the option. I played wide receiver. I had nine catches for 300 yards on the year, which is a pretty good <laughs> yards per catch. I had four touchdowns and nine catches. Oh, so dear. that is a good comp. That's a, uh, that's a good way to go out. I'm assuming. I don't, I don't think you played for uh, Coach Beamer or anything. But. I I did not. That would be a nice twist, though. would be holding out on us if we made it this long and hadn't fit, figured that out. No joke. Uh, golly, yeah. Like, some of these games that – like, one of the games I look at that, like, should be a game that, honestly, I mean, S&P Plus has Duke favored in is the Pittsburgh game. They get it home on October 5th. If they can't throw the ball downfield, that game turns into a rock fight, like, real quick. And some of these games that are their most winnable or, or the, the path to six, you know, that they need to win are really tough. I I really want to – I want to pick Duke to go six and six just because I feel like they're the they're the team that will never go away and that is, is never as, um, as challenged as you think they're going to be looking at some of the recruiting and some of the roster – I have a hard time picking them to win six of these games. I mean, Alabama's a loss. At Virginia Tech could be a little spicy. That's on a Friday night, but it's coming yeah. off a of bye week. Um, you know, at Virginia, don't love that. At Wake Forest, don't love that. Notre Dame, don't love that. Syracuse, Syracuse don't love that. Don't love that. Now, it is at home and in, in November, so we think we have a real good idea what Syracuse is going to be, but, it, you know things happen over the course of a season that's that's late in the season so who knows Miami Miami you get that at home also in November I'm gonna say that's a uh, that's a game too Joey we talked about in the Miami podcast we were like hey that Miami game uh with Duke at the end of the year could be interesting because they're always well coached mm -hmm. but it's a pretty substantial skill deficiency there with uh between the two rosters as far as the skill positions are concerned that game is like the annual talent versus coaching bowl. If uh, if you ever want to yep. see what that looks like, and usually the Jimmy Jimmys and Joes tend to win over the X's and O's, but I think I'm going to go with five and seven here, Mike. Um, I I think they do a little bit better than what we we got from Steve. I, I think again that they they tend to outperform expectations just a little bit, but man, there is a rough rough road this year, especially again kind of having to rebuild a significant part of the offense. Um, I, I just don't I don't see it this year. Maybe get an APR bull bid, but I, I think this is probably a five and seven year for Duke. A lot of uh, a lot of these preseason magazines and <clears throat> sorry, uh, pre you know the preseason preview articles I've been reading on Duke. A lot of these prognosticators and pundits are high on Duke because they always seem to outperform expectations, which is one of the reasons why you chose them to go five and seven because they usually outperform what we expect um i don't see it and i the reason why i don't see it is because this defense was fine last year it wasn't great while you do have depth returning you lose three out of your top four tacklers that is meaningful to me um so you do have a lot coming back from a depth perspective but your top end talent off the defense is gone this is a defense that ranked 105th nationally against the run last year joey so not great um Alabama game, obviously a loss. You have two non-conference games you absolutely have to win. North Carolina A&T coming out of the FCS, which 
as Steve mentioned, they're a decent team, um, but that's a game Duke has to win at Middle Tennessee. Uh, I, I'm expecting Duke to win that game. So you're sitting at two and one going into the Virginia Tech game, which is one of the more pivotal games of the season. I'll add real quick that that NCAA and T game and the, the at Middle Tennessee State game, I mean, as Steve alluded to a little bit, and you're correct, Mike, those are games you have to win. They are not as as simple roll your helmet out there wins as you might might think they are or they, they might sound like. Both of those teams can be kind of feisty and can give you a hard time. So you, you can't just just assume things blanketly with those two games. I'll throw that out there. Yep, just something to consider. Mm-hmm. Uh, something that Steve was alluding to and something that you and I have alluded to here. Uh, be careful, Duke. Be very careful. Um, yes, very losable games. Um at VTech, September 27th, like you mentioned, coming off of a bye, you're playing them on a Friday night in Blacksburg. That is a dicey game, uh, but a toss-up game because we don't know what Virginia Tech's going to look like. And, I mean, Duke has given Virginia Tech some problems. Um, they haven't beaten Virginia Tech a ton, but they've given them issues, so keep an eye on that. Um, the stretch that I think is going to decide whether Duke goes to a bowl game, quite honestly, Joey, it, starting at that game at Virginia Tech, at Virginia Tech, home against Pittsburgh, home against Georgia Tech, at Virginia, at North Carolina. There's a five-game stretch there that I think is especially crucial because the closing four, I think your best chance to win is at Wake Forest, and I don't love that. Um, I think that middle portion of the season throughout the month of October will know a lot more about Duke and, and what this team is going to be about. Um, I, I think if you're able to win two or three games in that ACC stretch there. I think you're able to, to reach bowl eligibility. Um, well, think about it. You- I, I mean, you, you figure a lost Alabama, you let's just say they're going to beat NCAA and, and, and middle Tennessee state, which again, that's reasonable. So they're two and one going into that five game stretch. They probably need to go four and one there. Unless, unless you think they're going to upset Notre Dame, Syracuse, Wake Forest, or Miami, which thankfully three of those four are at home at the very least. Yep. I think three and two. So if you go three and two at that stretch and then you beat Wake Forest, I think that's the that's the path, right? Mm-hmm. So you go three and two against a stretch that's that includes at Virginia Tech, home against Pittsburgh, home against Georgia Tech, at UVA, at North Carolina. If you go three and two in that stretch, assuming that you beat Mill Tennessee and North Carolina A and T, you'll be sitting at five wins. Your closing stretch, like we just mentioned, home against Notre Dame, home against Syracuse, at Wake, home against Miami. I don't think they're beating Notre Dame, Syracuse, or Miami just based off of talent alone. That Miami game, like we mentioned, could be dicey just because of, you know, Coach Cutcliffe. And he always finds a way to make it competitive against Miami or win. So keep an eye on that. But I think at Wake Forest is probably their best shot uh, in in the month of November. But that's not an easy game either. Um, Dave Clawson has that thing humming pretty good um, and a pretty solid program there. For what it's worth, S&P Plus has Duke as the underdog in – Eight of their games? Let's see. Alabama, Virginia Tech on the road, Virginia on the road, North Carolina on the road, Notre Dame, Syracuse uh, – not Syracuse. Syracuse are actually favored slightly by S&P Plus, which is interesting. Uh, Wake Forest and Miami. So that is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games that they're the underdog. That would One, two – let me check my math here. One, two, three, four, five of their favorite. Yes. Okay, so there you go. Five and seven. So that's what they're saying. Uh, by the way, Vegas win total, Mike, five and a half, five and a half I under will... is plus one thirty. 
I will take the under there. I like that juice. I haven't. I just realized I didn't give my official prediction yeah. there. I'm going to say four and eight. Um, I mentioned four. I kind of allude to four and eight on the podcast. I think four and eight is right. I, I'm with Steve. I'm sitting here trying to think back to how many teams I have predicted to go between five and seven and seven and five. Like, and, and are we approaching the limits of like what's mathematically possible in some of these For sure. schedules? For sure. And that's, that's one of the reasons why, and we, we talk about this every year now that we've been doing this, Joey, it's when we get to a certain amount of teams, a certain number of teams where we give our predictions, it becomes mathematically impossible that all these teams can go what we say they're going to go. So we'll just hold out for our season preview podcast that'll drop next week um, that will give an all-encompassing look of the conference with a special guest. We'll give our official record predictions for everybody, and we'll we'll be held to those instead of what we've been given on these individual team previews. And we will certainly, certainly be uh, making sure that it is all mathematically possible, right? Because we are dedicated, hardworking, you know, we're, we're going we're gonna to make sure it's right, right, Mike? You're, you're an engineer. I'm a finance guy. We better make <laughs> the numbers work. But also don't check our math. Don't check our math. Correct. Um, Correct. Don't hold me to yeah. it. All right, Mike and Steve have it at four and eight. I got Duke at five and seven. I again, I just think that there's there's going to come a point where they win a game they're not supposed to because Cutcliffe. So, um, yep, you know, keep an eye on that. Uh, Mike, anything else on Duke? One more, Joey. Uh, no, nothing on Duke. But we got one more season preview coming up with a friend of the show. Oh, we do. We do have one more with a friend of the show. Um, arguably, in the last couple of months, he has been the friend of the show. So. Um, we'll, uh, we'll talk to him shortly. You'll hear from him by the end of this week. Um, we do need to get out of here and go, uh, record that last preview, Mike. One more to go. We are through 13 teams officially. Um, so we're going to come back and record that one here shortly. And, uh, that'll be posted here in a couple days. So keep your ears out for that. Um, but we do need to get out of here for now. And until they hear us again, they can find us on Twitter. I am at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel CFB. Together we're at BC Podcast ACC. And you can also go find uh, Mr. Steve Wiseman on Twitter. He is at Steve Wiseman NC, all one word there. Uh, go check him out for all the Duke covers that he does. He is, he is absolutely killing it on the Duke football beat. Like most people just oh, yeah. have no business doing. So go check him out. Um, Mike, we are on the Anchor platform. You can find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Stitcher, the Overcast app. There's even a thing that I found, and I – damn it, I closed out. What was it called? Uh, it was the – Complex box or something ridiculous? Uh, cast That's box. not right. Cast box. There it is. If you have the Cast Box app, which apparently is one of the leading podcast apps in China, you can find us on that too. We're on that. <laughs> So, so go check us out on the CastBox app if you have that on your phone. Um, and, and also don't tell the CIA about that. They probably already know, but, yeah. you know, um, you never know. So Big big dictatorship, guys, over yeah, here. Yeah, you could say that. Uh, okay. Uh, Mike, they can send us with questions, comments, and concerns to the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Yes, sir. Uh, and you want to tell them where they can find us on the social medias? Uh, Facebook, facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find all of your podcasts there and wherever else you get them. Make sure to subscribe and do all that good stuff. Especially on the CastBox app, our favorite. Especially there. Goodness. Um, okay. Expand, expanding our footprint, Joe. <laughs> always. That, that's always the goal, Mike. Always the goal. Uh, Mike, anything else before we get out of here? I think we're good, man. You want to come back and finish out the team preview series? North Carolina is next. We'll tease it. Yeehaw. Here we go. Last one.
going to talk about uh, Mac Brown and them boys. So uh, come on back. Keep your keep your podcast machine tuned here, um, especially especially Castbox if you've got that. So yep. In any case, uh, until next time, for Mr. Mike McDaniel and Mr. Steve Wiseman, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. And until then, go ACC. Yeah.